Welcome to C3 Church Tabra. You're about to hear a great message from one of our guest speakers. Get ready to be inspired to live your best life. It's uh, another wonderful privilege for me to be back here in Tagara. I can't recall maybe about, what, three, four years back since then. Yeah, I've been here before and I shared a little bit about my background uh, from, you know, my experience back in Africa. And um, sometimes there are things that happen in your life that it make no sense at the moment of happening. But... When you are in God and you don't run away from that thing, God will make a meaning out of it and you will understand. And sometimes you smile with tears in your eyes, the tears of joy that knowing that whatever happened, God was in charge, God was in control, and he will forever be in control as long as you draw closer to him and walk with him, regardless of what circumstances you have been in. The fact that you have come to God and you're walking with God, you're in the right place and for the right cause. So with that, let's just pray for a moment. <clears throat> Father, I am here just humbly to ask you, present to be with us this day, and especially with the coming conference, that you're present with guide us through and lead us and be a blessing to each and individual King of glory. And as we wait for the return of our Savior, Jesus Christ, and we see turbulence and many things happening around our world, we remain hopeful. And may you renew our hope every day that, Lord, our hope would grow beyond the grave, if need be, O God, that we know for sure that we have a destiny in you, and with you we shall make it there. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, my name is David Livingstone, and um, I'm married. You've, met, you've seen my wife, Catherine, here. The Lord has blessed us with uh, five wonderful children, and um, they're all healthy, and they're doing very well. The four are in school, and the little one we're here with, right here with us. We're very grateful. I am truly grateful that I can stand here and testify of what God has done to me. But a few years back, it was difficult to think for a moment that I would even be here today. I was at the age of about 17 years of age. Uganda has never known a true transition in power. It has always been by the bar of a gun since uh, Idi Amin. Many of you, all the generation know when we talk of Idi Amin, the new generation may find it difficult. I was born in that very year, 1971, so you can do your calculation and you find out that I am quite uh, grown, a few years over, for which I am very thankful and grateful. There were days in which by now I should be an old man walking with stick, ready to die. You know, at 38 men would die, at 45 women would die, because that would be the level in which we reach and die in that part of the world because the stressfulness of life, the challenges, the lack of feedings and trauma and so on. However, we are grateful that that is changing now 
and and we live much much longer and we are being very uh, blessed by you know walking with god i think many of you probably um maybe watched it on the television or read it in the paper or if not in your mail the coin 2012 that's how probably many people came to know about coin others may not have heard about joseph coin and so on but i grew up in that area and since the government was overthrown in 1986 things have not normalized in the northern part of uganda for a very 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 long time and this self style rebel would come to uh, they want to make themselves strong but not many local people would believe in them so they decided to choose uh, abducting you know any person girl or boy young or old the young one of course they would indoctrinate them to uh, become a killing machine for them the older one you would just become like a donkey you would carry all their loots on your back and you travel with and so on so this particular event happened i was only about 17 years of age at the time the rebel came and surrounded our school and they said from today onward there is no education for you here and of course we are stubborn enough to ask why are you closing this school down yet we want to learn and they said well if you really want to find out you come back tomorrow with the cooking utensils because we are going to kill your teachers you're going to cook your teachers and you're going to eat your teachers in this school well when we had that it was enough to scare us and so we decided to go back home just before we could reach home we could hear the bullet criss crossing and the bombardment were happening and actually the rpg would go flying falling into our compound bazookas and so on it became very risky and and difficult so we ran away from our home far into the jungle but reaching there we were safe fine but there was no food to eat so we have to sneak back to get back to our home area to get some food items so that we can take back to our young siblings and uh we did that uh, for several days and this final day we came back and the rebel had surrounded our village and so we were caught in the middle of that and they said look it seemed like you are taking food to the government soldiers and this food in the jungle here in this village belong to us this is the rebel saying but we say we have some other sibling we want to take food to them and to the sorry everything here belong to us including you yourself and we are like oh my goodness what are we going to do one of the young lady decided she would run away forcefully and they grab her and they kill her right before us and then they ask again is there anybody want to run away and go back and we said no we will not run we will stay with you so they took us into the jungle and we would carry all their loots you'd carry you know boiling pot on your head they say if you drop that your life goes with it you know and so you carrying this boiling charcoal stove with a whatever cook they were cooking there you're running you know because the bullet is crisscrossing and flying and you can only pray and say god please don't let me drop this because my life would go with it and um so six months of that in the jungle of northern uganda it is not a joke it is not simple it is it's something that you can only imagine every time i tell that story the image becomes so real in my life that i almost feel like you know a trauma <laughs> a goosebump or something like that is happening because it's so real to me 
you, you live like an animal. You don't bathe, you don't sleep, you walk all night long, you have nothing, no shoes on your feet, you're going through jungle, you, you know, the risk of landmine and ambushes every day, you're struggling with that. And that's the kind of experience we've gone through. And the worst thing that this rebel could do to you as a young lad is that whenever they abduct you in the community, they make sure you kill one of your own, either your mom, your dad, or your sister or brother. They make sure you kill so that somehow in the back of your mind, you have no wish or desire to escape from them to come home because you know that what you have done, you're not welcome home. So these kids, when they get abducted, they stay, they just become a killing machine. And for years in and years out and years in, for the last 25 years, this role has been going on. You know, and it's like over 25,000 children have been abducted. And so many have died. And the girls would be taken forcefully to be the wives of these commanders in, 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 in the jungle. You know, you, you, you become pregnant and you give birth like animals. There's no care for these girls and so on. But anyway, in my life, this particular time in 1987, the, this rebel had disagreement among themselves. And they were fighting. And as they were fighting, we managed to escape from them. And we ran away from them. When we ran away, we came into town, small Kitgum. Jenny has been there in Kitgum. And um, we reported to the government. We said, look, we have just escaped from the rebel activities. We have been abducted again. As I will. We stayed there for six months. And the government soldiers looked at us and they said, we don't believe you. You have been sent in to spy in on us. So you are a spy. And they have arrested us and they threw us in prison. And they moved us from Kitgum to Luzira, which is a bigger uh, maximum prison in, in the city. And we were there. And that was even worse. You know, because if you're taken as a prison of war, sadly in Africa, the Geneva Convention doesn't apply in most of these prisons you go into. You get completely mistreated, abused, and ready to die. Sometimes you feel like it's better to die than to live because you are treated inhumane. You know, they pour hot food in your hand and, and you have no plate and you sleep on the cold cement floor and sometimes you don't even bathe for weeks and, and you're just mistreated totally. Like, like, there's no word I can describe that better. It became obvious that there was no plan for us to be alive. Or if we live only by the grace of God. They move us from that prison at the back of a big Mack truck with a canopy over it. I don't know why. Maybe they're trying to cover so we don't see where we are coming from or where we are going. And um, when they dumped us at the railway station waiting for the train to give us another transfer down west of the country... We were seated there for about three hours waiting for the train to come. And um, somebody just pointed across the road and said, oh, that one there is called Zambia Police Barrack. I said, oh, that's where my uncle used to, to work as a policeman. So let me cross over and, and just go and visit. Being young, you know, they allowed me to loiter and walk around and walk through the train cart and cross the road. Nobody looked how I went and I crossed over. When I reached there, I was asking for my uncle. And I said, do you know so-and-so? You know, they looked at me like, who? What? They thought I was crazy. 
because my hair was grown overgrown my back side was hanging out and was dirty and skinny and they all looked at me like is he all right upstairs you know and but this particular gentleman picked an interest and said why are you asking for this man do you know him i say yes he's my uncle really is your uncle and why are you here why do you look like that and he was just interviewing to get whether i was okay upstairs here so i answered him correctly i said i've just been from the prison we are waiting for the train and we are going in such and such a place immediately when i mentioned that he knew that the place we are going into there's no coming back so he quickly said please enter come inside the house don't bring me any trouble come inside the house i got inside the house that was around 3 o'clock in the afternoon he kept me inside his house until about 7 o'clock at the night where i'm sure they would have looked for me and they could not find me at the railway station and they forgot about me he sneaked me out of that we went outside the city and i found another uncle of mine because there were two uncles in the city and that is how i has escaped from that prison and of course i had to start life all over again so there was a school in uh, chambogo in kampala outskirt near the university i went back to that school it's called ambassador of hope it's like a catch up school for those who have missed out on education and it's happened to be that the teachers in that school they were christians and um they started preaching you know like david we know what you've been through is really bad we know where you're coming from the war is going on you know many people have been killed you have to uh get to know jesus you know and i guess the natural reaction in me like where was jesus when i needed him the most where was he when i was going through the, the, the difficulties in the jungle the pain the death the war i've gone through and and that was my just natural reaction like where was jesus does he really care about me well by and by i realized it was just the hurts was the darkness was the losses was the trauma i've been through that trying to keep the, the enemy was using that to keep me away from jesus and and uh, in, in in the 11th of april in 1988 this 9 o'clock in the morning in the classroom i humbly ask jesus christ into my world into my life to be my lord and my savior and from that day there is something that uh, it's difficult to describe because it is it's spiritual it's supernatural the joy that took over my heart the the glow the feeling of warmth all over me you know it's the heat i feel like something is really really hot around me and and i was so full of joy and happiness i went back home and everybody thought what's wrong with this he's smiling he's laughing it's something wrong with him is he you know okay again upstairs but it was the joy of knowing that i was free from all the trauma i have gone through and my auntie at home looked at me she's a catholic by religion she just like something strange about you what is it and i told her that i i accepted the lord jesus to be my lord and savior ah that turned out to be something else she just didn't like it she said in this home we only have one religion whatever you've come with is not part of this family out 
to throw me out from my house. And my uncle is a very quiet man. He said nothing. And I could not see a way out. I was heartbroken. I was angry. I was bitter. I'm like, God, how can you give me a glimpse of hope and a, and a joy and you take it away from me when I needed it the most now? What just when I've given you my life, my heart to you, why do you let my auntie throw me out? Whom do I turn to? Where do I go? I'm in the city. I'm a stranger. I don't even speak the language of the people in the city. I don't know English. How am I going to survive in this environment? I was crying. I was in agony. I was disappointed. And I just went back to school. I asked the teachers. I said, look, if you can afford to give me just transport money, let me board a bus. Let me go back up north in the middle of the war. Let me go and die with my people. I'd rather die with my people. I'm lonely here, and I don't want to die here as a stranger. And um, the teachers could see that something terrible happened into my life. And they said, look, David, we see you're hurting, but we're not going to let you go. We have to find a way, a place for you that you can stay. You better continue with your school down here. Because if you go up there, for sure the rebel will kill you, knowing that you have escaped from them and, and, and you have survived this and survived you know, the prison. And um, So yes, finally, they found a place. And a place of this woman, this woman happened to be an Australian woman who was married to a New Zealander down in Christchurch. And she left New Zealand. She went to Uganda to be a missionary um, in Uganda since 1985. And little did I know that, uh, uh, you know, th this woman, she was a total complete something else. She was a single woman, she's older, and she was a tough nut to crack that one, I can tell you. You know, I would sit on the table, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm a young dude, you know, sitting on the table, tapping, say, why are you tapping the table? I'm like, oh, what do I do, you know? I would sit and put my elbow on the table, say, you don't put your elbow on the table, and I'm like, Oh my God, what's going on in my world? And this is like, you know, this is how we hold knives and forks as we eat in this household. And I'm like, I don't eat with knives and forks. I use the original, organically, authentically, my, my finger, you know, to feed. And this is like, you know, in this house, we bathe twice in a day. Have you bathed this morning? I say, it's cold. I did not bathe. She says, Go get water, go and bathe. I'm like, I live in the jungle for so long and water was not touching my body. I'm just a different guy. And I wake up in the morning, my bed said, did you make your bed? I said, I used not to sleep on the bed. I sleep in the jungle. I, I'm not used to this thing, you know. And she would say, did you make the dog's food? I said, we don't cook dog's food. Dog eat what we eat, you know. And she would say, did you bathe the dog? I mean, this was the condition she was raising us. I was living with her and I, I mean... Don't get me wrong. I didn't know how to live in that environment. And by and by, for four and a half years, I lived with her. I mean, there is a moment where she's so sweet like apple pie. And there is a moment you wish you have not known her or met her. <laughs> to be honest. That was my experience. God has funny things in 
it's, it's, it was difficult. The environment was safe, the food was nice, the bed was soft, the, everything around was good for any human being. But given where I come from, I had no idea how to live with a, a missionary. You know, live alone being an Australian missionary in Africa. And, um, but God had a plan and a purpose for me to be. And her name was Jude Giacometti. And later on, I just couldn't continue to live with her anymore. So I left her in Ginger. I moved back to Kitgum to visit my grandma who was dying. And I happened to go to a church in, in town. And in that church, I met another Australian woman who was having a difficult moment with her husband. The husband was divorcing her and leaving her in the front line of a war zone in northern Uganda. And I'm like, oh my God, you know, what's going on now? She listened to me speaking. She said, you speak English like Australian. Have you ever been to Australia? I said, no, I've never been to Australia. I don't even know which part of the globe Australia is in. And um, he said, look, I, I, I'm having these difficulties. I have these children. Please, could you come and help and, and work with me? And I said, no, no, no. I don't want to come back here because I had a bad experience. I was abducted here. I've escaped and I've put in prison. I'd rather go back in the city. And I left. Now, God was in the making. I lost peace. I became restless when I went back to the city. And I finally, I made a decision to come back to work with this lady. She was uh, Irene Gleason who ran Child Care International. Then I started working with Irene Gleason. Her husband left her there. She has nobody. And I stood with her, you know, supported her and worked with her for many, many, many years. 13 years we worked together in that part of the world, rescuing children and saving children who are being abducted or returned. And then that's when I came to know about Christian City Church uh, in Sydney in 1996 uh, when they moved from the you know the shed house to the big place where they are now that was the first year they moved us the first year I also met uh, Phil Pringle there and um, I thought it was strange because the way he preached he would you know make summer soul in the church I thought oh this is an interesting church let me keep my eyes open so by and by in 1999, I married Catherine. We came over for uh, our honeymoon here in Australia, and we did what we used to do, you know, raising support for the work with Child Care International. And these children were growing up, but they're growing up with no direction in life. You know, they, they have no church uh, to go to, and so in the area in which we were working. And I felt the need to start a church there. So one day, I just stood before the church as we were praying for us to say goodbye. We're going back to the war zone in Africa. I'm going to start a church there in Africa. And Phil Pring just said, it's going to be Christian City Church in Africa. I'm like, okay, so we're going to talk about that. <laughs> so in um, 1999, when I left in December 30th, we arrived there um, in Uganda, driving all the way up country. We were in a serious ambush right there. So many people were killed around us. We carried many people, brought them back to the hospital. 
we proceeded from Lera across to Pade back to Kitgum. We reached there. I said, no matter what, we're going to start the church in 2000. And when we got there, I lost a finger. A wedding ring just got caught at the edge of the truck. I was driving for the organization. I'm like, oh God, how is that possible? I sold out my guts to serve you and work with you. Why is this now? I was in pain. I was so hurt. But deep inside me, I knew the enemy was fighting to stop me from starting a church. I said, regardless of what happened, I've lost a finger, but we're going to start a church. So we opened up the church. By in, in January, 7th of January, on by Easter, we had over 5,000 members in the congregation. You know? And that was in the middle of the war, in the seriousness of the war, where the night commuters, people would run and sleep in town, children and everybody, because they could no longer sleep at home. And our area was just flooded with people everywhere. Believe me, it was not difficult to preach the gospel. You just say Jesus and everybody comes because they know that their life was at the crossroad. Either Jesus or death on the other side. And they came. They all came to God. And, and we preached. And the church grew amazingly in that area. And we continued. But of course, you know, the enemy is never asleep. He will always find a way to fight you know, to fight back because the purpose of the enemy is to just mislead people and destroy them. But Jesus wanted to save people, give them a hope and a future. And that's what we were there for. So we had some hiccup. A lot of things happened. We parted company, but I stood because I know that God called me for the purpose of planting the church. And so, yes, as I stand here today, we have over 22 churches in just in Kitgum, northern Uganda, and the Pade. There are a few others in Gulu and down. I think we have over 80, almost going to 100 churches in Africa, as I speak today. So the Lord has used us there amazingly. I had to cut this story really short because it's long and very many uh, stuff that probably is not very good for you guys here. It's... Um, because when these rebels abduct you, they do anything, unimaginable things. They, they make you lose your sense of humanity. You're another creature. Because, as I said, they make you kill your own siblings. It's not like you're shooting them down dead. No, they make sure you hack them into pieces and guts and everything. And to some extent, they even make you eat their brain out and, and so that you just dead to your sensitivity. You become desensitized to killing. It's no longer anything that you feel like afraid of. You know, that, that's, that's the level in which this self-style rebel Joseph Coyne has gone. And um, I'm not alone. For me, the more I've talked about this, it has helped me to heal and recover and stay strong and love the Lord and serve God. But there are many out there try to lock it all inside them, not to talk about it, not to let it out. And literally, they're just dying inside them. And I had a chance to just come out and speak about it and let it go and set my heart 
free. And that's by the grace of God. And that's by the fact that I have received Jesus Christ in my life as my personal Lord. Because there's certain things about yourself that you'll never be able to change. Because there are internal issues. Only eternal God can deal with that. Because that is the nature of God in you. And only he knows how to undo that from internally. We can only handle the external matters about us. But the internal issue, our conscience, our soul, our spirit. Only master plan know how to fix that one. That's, that's Jesus Christ himself through the power of the Holy Spirit. So that is how he has saved me and set me free from that trauma, that dark world, that, that fear, that, that guilt. You know, that, that, that world is a different world. And it's, it's not that you choose to be there. You have no choice. You're taken against your will to do the unthinkable. Now, that's me. I don't know about you, honestly. And I'm glad that I don't know about you because if I know about you, then you might think I'm saying something because I know about you. I don't. I want to tell you what my experience, what my life, what my story has been like. Has there been a time in my life that I feel I wish I was dead, never lived, or never had a chance to come and be with you here? Believe me, many times I wish I was dead with those who are dead because it's easier to die and not think about what you have gone through. But if that was a possibility for everybody, then I guess... What was the use for the death of Jesus Christ on the cross? Because his death is to give us that hope, that future. You know, I had you talk about the goodness of God, God and uh, I think that's all wonderful. To me, I believe in a very hopeless situation, a very hopeless circumstances, a very hopeless environment that you see no future, you see no purpose for existence. And as I speak to you today, the rate of suicide is very high in northern Uganda where I come from because there's still many of those who have not found this hope that I have in Christ. And don't get me wrong, the hope I am talking about here, friend, is not the hope of getting well, not the hope of having money. It's not the hope of feeding. Because I have seen the unthinkable, unimaginable in my life. Whether I live or die doesn't matter. But what matters is whether I die, is where do I go from there onward. Because the rich and the poor, both, they will die. No doubt about it. We've seen so many like that happen. But the hope that we, or I am talking about here, is the hope that goes beyond the grave. Eternity. I want to spend eternity... 
in God, not outside God. I am very grateful that God has given me opportunity to come to a place like Australia, to visit places like America, and Europe, and so on. But yet, by choice, I go back to live in northern Uganda and plant churches and live with the poor and the needy and so on. I've seen babies being born today and they die the next day. I've seen so many things happen. And I've concluded that if I'm going to die, I want to die in God, in Christ Jesus. And to have that hope in me to keep me doing the right thing that is in the will of God, not outside the will of God. It is so easy and it's so true. It's even possible for one to do wonderful work of charity, to bless people, to donate money, and do many good things. But friends, the qualification of heaven is not just the good things you do. Because Jesus is real, and Jesus is the hope. Because he died and he rose again. And he's not here, he's on the other side. And that is the hope I embrace in my heart. If Jesus died, I know anybody will die, and including me, I will die. I've known many good, wonderful people who have given up living. Money could not save them. Fame could not save them. Good work could not save them. But Jesus Christ is the only hope that can save them. I prayed for many people in the hospital. Some miraculously raised up and walk happily, healed and thanking God. I also prayed for many who never, ever made it out of the hospital bed. And they died. And I thought to myself, what next? I realize it is important right here in our mind that we don't just give people the hope of healing and coming out of the hospital because we don't know the will of God for these people. But we give them a hope that if by now Jesus decided to take you, are you ready? to meet him on the other side and be with him. Because both possibilities are very much real, but they're belonging to God, not to man. I have done a lot of things in faith. I prayed for many people in faith, but they ended up dying. Does that mean I did not have faith in God? No. I have faith. But I was not in tune to the will of God. And we have to prepare people for that. Who needs hope? I need hope. I do need hope every day of my life. There's certain thing that goes beyond just faith. There's certain thing, it's so real that you must believe God that it is real. And you don't see it with the physical eyes. You see it in the spiritual realm. It is, you cannot describe it just like Paul said that I see an image like it's a dim image in a mirror. But when that time comes, it becomes more clearer. It becomes more real. And, and while I'm here with you, friends, I have no idea what you are experiencing, what you've gone through, what you see or what you don't see. 
But in reality, when you're in tune with the will of God, that hope that says, I believe in Christ, that nothing matters, not money, not health, not position, not country, not nation, not color of my skin, but in Christ we shall all be equal. In Christ, we shall all be equal. Why do we need hope? When things are difficult, when things are impossible, we need hope. When money cannot fix it, we need hope. When our body is giving up and the doctor is saying, sorry, we tried all the medication, it's not working. We need hope. To keep us going. That hope is not only just for the cure of this body, but that's hope that I am in God, I am in the will of God, and I'm going to be with God, regardless what color, what background. Those are the things that kept me going. I mentioned earlier about ambushes and landmines. I have driven on that road for over 13 years during the war. I drive. I find blown up vehicle at the side of the road and dead bodies at the side of the road. And I close my eyes. I said, I know that God has called me here for a purpose. I am driving because I am in the will of God, not in the will of man. Because those who are in the will of man, they will die in the will of man. But those who are in the will of God, they only die when God say, your time has come. And that hope cast out fear. You lose fear because you are in hope in Christ. You know you belong there. He put you there for a purpose. For certainly in your heart. Just let me give you a few scriptures because I know I shared my experience, but I want to get to the word of God because it's real to me. In Romans chapter 4 verse 18, we say again his whole hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations. The interesting thing about the hope of Abraham, my friends, it was something beyond what man can see or do. And the hope was not on what Abraham could see. The hope was in who made the promises. That when God promised you, God will fulfill it. And that is your connection. You're connecting to the God of promises. When Jesus said, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you, I'll be with you until the end of the age. To whom was this hope, this, this promise being made? It was to believers. It was to his disciples. He was instructing them. That keep going, keep doing what you're doing. I will be with you. Jesus was not with everybody. He promised to be with those who believe and trust and wait in him. It's not by mistake that you're sitting here today, my friend. You are here for a very special purpose. That Jesus Christ is connecting you back to his promises. And that when he's coming back, he's not coming for everybody in the world. No, he's coming for a very special group of people. Those who are waiting for him. Those who are his. Those who belong to him. 
That's whom he is coming back for. When Abraham had hope, he had hope in God against everything else that man could think. As far as the eyes of man was impossible, it was out of question. But as far as in the eyes of God, it was just a fresh new beginning. Because God is not threatened by what we see or say. God is the perfect design, the perfect enabler. He makes make things to be able for us. He's our enabling God. He enables us to achieve that which is impossible in the eyes of man, in the mind of man. Hallelujah. In Romans chapter 8, verse 20, we say, For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is sin is not hope at all. Who hope for what he sees? We hope for what we don't see. But we can only see it in the spirit. How many of you have ever seen, been to heaven? Has anybody here gone to heaven and come back to earth? Thank you. But somehow at the back of our mind there is an image of a love, of a presence, of a peace in the presence of God in a place called heaven. Is that not so? But if I ask you to draw a picture of heaven, can you draw it for me? But somehow within you, you know it, you see it, and you feel it. Why? You didn't put it there. God did. You can't put it there. It's not your right to put it there, but it's God's right to put it there as you open up and say, I want to be with you in heaven. And God will create that perfect image of heaven inside your soul. You close your eyes, you see it, you feel it, but can you describe it? You can never. Because that's the presence of God. You only feel it. And you cannot describe the feeling, but not the image. And so, First Peter, sorry, yeah. First Peter chapter three verse fifteen it says, "But in your heart set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect." This hope I don't know whether I'm speaking to somebody here but let me just say this I know it is so easy in this part of your world and don't get me wrong I'm just being honest in my own observation it's easier to trust the system, the possibilities, the availabilities, because that's what the environment dictates to us. And it makes it very difficult for us to trust and believe in God and put our hope in God. Because the condition, the environment, You've been preconditioned to look at things that way. 
But if I may, there is a need for you individually to just pray that prayer in Philippians chapter 1 verse 15 that Paul prayed and say ever since i heard about your faith have not given up i keep praying that the god of peace the god of wisdom the father of our lord jesus christ that would open your eyes not just the outward eyes but the inner eyes to see the hope in which he has called you so that you would understand what i am talking about here clearly it's not something that we'll see with the physical eyes it is something that we can only see with the spiritual eyes paul is prayer let's just turn to that scripture before i want to read scripture so that it makes sense Actually, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15, it says, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spiritual, the spirit of wisdom and the revelation, so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saint and this is incomparable great power for us who believe that power is like the working of his mighty strength which exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realm that is what paul prayed for the believers it's something beyond human eyes it's something deep something it's seen by the inner being of christ in you to know god better to know the purpose and the plan better i had no idea when i was in the in the jungle i had no idea when i was in the prison i had no idea when i was living with jude i had no idea of what god purpose and plan until when i read the scripture and i started unveiling everything that god was in the making from the very beginning to this very minute i am standing here i've made a lot of mistakes no doubt about it i became angry disgusted disappointed and many things happened but i never stopped looking forward because there are two part of me one is called physical which is lazy and sloppy and sometimes but there's a in me which is the strength that keep me going it's the strength of god not the strength of man and i want you brothers and sisters to stand with me as we pray in conclusion <coughs> You know when you have hope friends it's not easy to give up because that hope is an image created inside you for something that is yet to come 
And that you can never run away from it when you have it, when you feel it, when you know it is in you. You can never run away from it because the hope is a hidden thing inside you. It is inside. The image is there. The feeling is there. The knowledge about it is there. The environment and circumstances may dictate something different, but within you, you know the truth. That God, when he made a promise, he never lies. That God has a purpose and a plan, regardless of what you have gone through. You may not have gone through what I have gone through, but the feeling is the same. The enemy is still the same. But the most excitingly, the God we serve is also still the same. He's the God of hope. And Father, I just take Paul's prayer right now. And I believe that you are the God that can open our inner eyes to see things that man cannot see. So I pray for everybody here right now, King of Glory, that there must be a renewed of hope in each and individual here for the purpose in which you have called us, King of Glory. I pray your blessing and your love right now to surround each one of us here right now, King of Glory. That we don't hope in the environment, in the circumstances, in the availability and the resources, but we hope in the God of eternity. That he created me for a purpose. That he created you for a purpose. That he created this moment for a purpose for us to come together and to listen to his words and to restore our hope once again in his son Jesus Christ I thank you Father I thank you dear Jesus in the mighty name of Jesus Lord I pray Amen We hope you enjoyed listening to this message For more information on what you've just heard or how to visit us, go to c3talgra.org.au. We hope to see you at church soon.